In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome this morning. Today's sermon is going to be, structurally speaking, uh, somewhat different uh, as we're going to work our way through the collect of the day. So you see in your service booklet, we have the collect of the day. There's also the collect for purity. Uh, What is a collect and why is it called a collect? Well, it's called a collect because it collects or gathers together the themes from the day into one. And it also gathers together the various intentions and thoughts of God's people into a succinct theme. So we all, it's, so it's a, it's a reality of the church that we're all different members. We come in here with uh, different wants and needs and desires, and we come together as the one body of Christ. Our thoughts and our hearts and our desires are gathered, collected, and in keeping with the theme of the day, we go before the throne of Almighty God asking for his grace. So the various members of the church, they come together as the one body in prayer to the Father, through the Son, and in the Spirit. And a collect consists of four main parts. And I think this will help you maybe connect more with the prayers that we're praying, but it'll also help to inform uh, your own prayer. So here are the four parts. There's the address, which has an ascription. I'll explain that. The address, the petition, the aspiration, and then the conclusion or invocation. So the address is usually, we're praying usually to the person of the Father, again, through the Son and in the Spirit. And when we address God, there's an ascription with it, address with ascription. So we say something, there's a word of praise or acknowledgement of something about God's nature, something about God's character, a work that he's done, a promise that he's made. And that's how a collect begins. Example, the collect for purity, which you just heard. Almighty God, okay, the address, now the ascription. Unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid. There's an address, and then there's praise. There's an ascription of God's nature, his character, his goodness. And just right here, that can inform the way we pray when we pray extemporaneously. You know, we, uh, most of the time, 99.9% of the time in the Ainsley house, you know, we pray for our meal before we dig in, and the girls will take turns. And there's a process of teaching of how, how do we pray and how do we address God instead of, dear God, give me this, 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 and this. And it's like, okay, you just, honey, let's slow down. Who, who are we talking to? We're not talking to a genie. We're not in front of a cosmic vending machine just trying to get something out of it. This is almighty God. And, we, and the primar- primarily, the reason that we're praying is to give thanks, not to just ask God for a bunch of other stuff at mealtime. Since we're here, God, if you could do this, this, and this for me. So it begins with the address, with the ascription. The next is the petition, the request. What is it that we're asking for? Uh, which usually bears some relationship to the as- ascription. We make a request of God in prayer. 
in light of who God is, what he's done, and what he's promised. So the example in the Collect for Purity, here's the petition. We're asking the God who, who knows all, who knows our hearts, who knows us better than we could ever know ourselves, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit. The third part of a collect is the aspiration. This is the end to which we make our petition. This is the desired result, which you'll, you'll notice in a collect when you see the word that or so that, that's leading into the aspiration. What, do, what is going to be the result of God granting this petition? Collect for purity. That we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify Thy holy name. That's the aspiration. That's the desired result. And then there's a conclusion, which is invoking usually the Trinity, uh, but in the collect for purity, simply through Christ our Lord. Amen. So the ending is invocational and doxological in nature, and it's usually Trinitarian as today's collect is. So today's collect begins... O God, so this is the address and now the ascription, who has prepared for those who love thee such good things as pass man's understanding. Today's gospel, John 14, verses 23 through 29, touches on the love of God, both the Father's love for us and our love for him, and the relationship the inextricable relationship between love and obedience. And the result of that love, the result of that loving obedience is that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will make his abode in the hearts of the faithful. It says, my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Failure to obey is a failure to love. A failure to obey the Lord is a failure to love the Lord. And our failures to love the Lord often stem from unbelief, from a lack of trust. Do we believe that the good things that God has prepared for us are the best things? That a life in Christ is the best life that you can have? That apart from Christ, there is no life. Or do we believe the lie that Eve believed in the garden? That God was holding out on them. And that what he wanted for them was not the best for them. The ascription in today's collect is a reference to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, where Paul himself is referencing another passage, Isaiah 64. He writes, I hath not seen 
nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. The things which are being prepared are the heavens and the earth so that they can be a suitable chalice for the glory of God. The things that are being prepared ultimately are human beings. From one perspective, we can say the things that God is preparing for us, he's preparing us. He's in need of no preparation. He's preparing us to be fully and finally united with him in the way that we read about in Revelation 21. To be united with him. Our highest good is being united and in fellowship with Almighty God. Our deepest joy is found in Jesus Christ. Do we believe this? And until we are convinced of this, we won't love God as we ought, and therefore we won't obey him as we ought. And as the Apostle John says, to love God is to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not what? Burdensome. His commandments are unto life. Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 2, this is right after he speaks of these things which God is preparing that are beyond comprehension. He says, but God hath revealed them, i.e. the things which he has prepared. God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So, the, so again, the gift, the good thing, is God himself, is life in the Spirit, the fullness of which we will experience at the last day, Revelation 21, and this is key, the blessed foretaste of which is ours even here and now by the Spirit if we love God. If we don't, as Christians, dam up the river of life within us. Now to the petition we prayed this morning, pour into our hearts such love toward thee. Again, this is a reference to scripture. Pretty much every prayer we pray is a piece of scripture. Colic speaks of the love of God being poured into our hearts. Well, what does Paul say in Romans 5.5? 5? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what we're doing is we're asking God this morning to stir the love that is in our hearts, to stir up the Spirit who dwells within us, love which has been perhaps dampened or even quenched by sin, by our unhealthy attachment to temporal things, uh, 
our love which can grow cold if we stray from scripture, from prayer, from the fellowship, from the sacramental life of the church. We're asking God this morning to further pour into our hearts his love, to stir up his Holy Spirit who dwells within us so that, here's the aspiration, that we, loving thee in all things and above all things, may obtain thy promises which exceed all that we can desire. This is the end for which we pray this morning, that we would love God in all things and above all things. To love God in all things is, is to live the whole of one's life with God. As much as we can to be aware that our lives are lived with him, in his presence, and for him. Uh, there's a, a priest, Father Thomas Hopko, uh, now with the Lord. He, an Orthodox preacher, he was a t teacher at St. Vladimir's uh, Orthodox Theological Seminary. And he wrote this thing called 55 Maxims. It was kind of the, it didn't have quite the um, notoriety that like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life had, but basically like 55 rules for the Christian life. Uh, maxims. And his first one is this. His first maxim is be always with Christ. That's what it means to pray without ceasing, is to always be with the Lord and aware of his presence. How different would our lives be if that were the case? The way that we would engage our seemingly, the seemingly mundane task of life, the way that we would engage and treat uh, other people, to be always with Christ. And this is not a sort of kooky spirituality where things that are temporal can be conflated with things eternal. Uh, you know, loving God in all things does not mean that you try to engage in some sort of psychological gymnastics where you sit down to have a hamburger or something and you imagine that the eating of that hamburger, that you're doing that for God and that this is some sort of sacrificial act of love that you're offering unto him. You're probably eating it because God is good and he's created this world good and you enjoy food and that's okay. There's a difference between engaging in temporal things like eating with eternity in view. So eating that hamburger with thanksgiving and in recognition that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So you might have a trip that you go on, an experience that you have. You might have get a big win at work, whatever it is. There's something good that happens. You know, you participate in an athletic competition and it goes well. Thank you, God. Thank you that um, you're a good God that give, gives us good gifts. Uh, I went to a, a Christian high school. And I, I've seen this kind of gone amok, is, is my point. I went to a Christian high school, I, I, if you can believe it, and you should believe it. Uh, I played football, among other sports. 
cornerback. Don't throw it to my side. It's not going to happen. I'm going to lock you down. And I, well, not anymore, I'm not, but in, in another life, perhaps. And I remember on many occasions uh, on which my peers or even sometimes my coach, coach would act as if every game was David and Goliath, that it was of some sort of eternal and spiritual significance, that the host of heaven themselves were invested in the outcome of the game, like angels in the outfield. They act, remember that movie? They acted like angels in the outfield was real. And that the most spiritual team would win. If we're better... God, we're playing this game for your glory. Are we or are we just playing it because it's fun? We can play it in a way that gives him glory. We can conduct ourselves. That's true. But we're playing it because it's fun. And God doesn't care who wins. I remember one game in particular. We were playing one of our rivals, Lynchburg Christian Academy. Uh, my high school was in Virginia. I went to Atlantic Shores. And we were, we were down at halftime. We're down at halftime in this huge game, and it was really fun because you got to play in Liberty Stadium, but it was the old AstroTurf, so if you got tackled, you had like third degree <laughs> like burns on your arm. It was terrible. And I remember we were down at, at halftime, and revival broke out on the sideline. These guys had huddled up. And they were praying, you know, they're repenting of their sins. God, I'm never going to do this again. I'm so sorry. If you just help us win this game, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I mean, there were many prayers ascending. There were many promises being made. And, I mean, even as a teenager, I did, you know, I, I was a pretty devout as far as teenagers go. But I didn't walk over and join this, this pagan, I would call it a pagan prayer circle of we're going to have a, a divine quid pro quo. God, we, we give you this, and then you're going to give us this. You know, I'm like, guys, you know, we're not, uh, we're not Vikings going out to garner glory in battle. Odin's not going to wel welcome us into Valhalla to dine with the gods if we go out there and kick their butt. That's not the way. Th th this is not really a Christian way. I remember this. So funny. And, and the bad thing is, is that we ended up coming back and winning the game. So I, I, I think some, some bad theology was perhaps uh, reinforced. To love God in all things, whether it's in sport or eating or drinking or cutting the grass, would be to enjoy a temporal good as from God because it is, and to conduct oneself in a manner consonant with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how we should have thought about that game is that God in his love and goodness, in this case, has given us athletic capacity and sport, and for that we are thankful. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. I think that gets at the heart of what it means for the whole of one's life to, yes, be spiritual, for the whole of one's life to be an oblation of love to the triune God. So we love God in all things, but also, the colic says, above all things, because the reason that we exist is 
is to know and love God. And again, this is the highest good. It's better than anything you could see. It's better than anything you could think up to know and to be in fellowship with God. And there is nothing or no one more worthy of our love than God. And this is a paradox in the collect, right? To love God in all things and to simultaneously love God above all things. God created the world and he created it good. God is present within his creation. So we can love God in all things. God's not identical with his creation. This is not pantheism, but he is present within it. But yet God is transcendent. God is totally unlike us. There's an infinite chasm between the human being and God in terms of our being. God is holy, holy, holy. He's, he's other. Father Martin Thornton writes this. He says, The incarnate mediation, sacrifice, and redemption of the Son points to a loving care and concern for all things. Everything matters because of Christ, and yet nothing matters except for Christ. By loving God, which is possible because God first loved us and that love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we obtain to his promises, which can exceed all, which exceed all that we can desire. And the promise is the promise of himself that by the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, as we heard in John 14, would make their abode in us that the holy spirit who's pictured in our in revelation 21 the river uh, which flows from the throne of god and the lamb at the last day would spring up in us even now unto eternal life let us pray almighty god we need your help to love you as we ought. And Lord, I pray that through your word and in the sacrament and in our fellowship with one another, in the whole of life, that you would reveal unto us your truth, your beauty, and your goodness. And that you would stir up in our hearts a desire above all other desires to know you, to walk with you, to have fellowship with you, to love you because you have loved us so well in your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.